0: Friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. Today's episode is super exciting because it is coming from Iraq. I'm actually at the airport, Erbil Airport, right now and I've been in Iraq with an organization that I won't mention in the podcast, um, but it will be in the show notes. Um, But we've been here visiting the persecuted church, Christians in northern Iraq specifically, who were affected by ISIS and um, the the war of uh, 2014-2015 where ISIS came, uh, took over Mosul and whole regions of northern Iraq and the Christians were dispersed and pushed out and were forced to move into uh, new cities that were predominantly uh many muslim very muslim cities uh but we basically went and started new lives so we've been here with the uh, with the charity and we've been visiting the, the persecuted church and the work of what's called the salt foundation the foundation here that is doing some incredible work so what i'm aiming to do i'm at, I'm at the airport so i'm not gonna be talking very loud but i wanted to take the opportunity to record a podcast uh from here in iraq Uh, to fill you in on some of the things that I've seen and what I've got in front of me is my little travel book and uh, I'm going to photograph it and this will probably go on the podcast episode uh, image at the beginning of the podcast you'll see it so what I've been doing during the week is just taking notes of different people that we've met and some of my reflections and thoughts and I'd love to just share some of these with you some of these stories with you of people who are just so committed to Jesus and if, let's be completely honest. Some of the things that these guys have gone through as disciples of Jesus would put the shame of those of us living in the UK or in the West um, to shame. Uh, their faith has. Uh, yeah, it's just incredible. You know, when you see what they've gone through and how they've chosen to stay, and how they've chosen to live for Jesus in a place of persecution, uh, it's just beautiful. Uh, so I want to share some of those stories with you in today's podcast. So look, friends, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Uh, if there's lots of background noise or you hear the pings from the airport, that's what's going on. I'm, I am literally here in Erbil Airport right now recording this episode for you. So I pray that you find it interesting and helpful and that you enjoy the background noise and uh, understand its authenticity that, that this is recorded in Iraq. So friends, here we go, an episode with making Disciples, uh, a, having been here for a week in Iraq. So let's jump in with uh, a few things from my little notebook. And uh, now a couple of things I do need to say up front. I'm not mentioning the organisation's organization, name that I've been with for security reasons. Uh, whatever is said about what is happening out here, we have to be really careful because it could cause greater persecution uh, for those that are living in Iraq, believers who live here so I'm going to be super super careful not to mention names I'm going to change names or not, not mention names so I won't say the name of the organisation that I'm with and I won't be giving the real names of anyone uh, in any of these stories so please don't be worried if you think that I might be Uh, causing anyone to be put in any further harm I won't use real names so during the trip we've been able to travel uh, to a number of regions where believers from Mosul ran And have now set up new homes. And it's been amazing to meet uh, women who've started hairdressers, men who've started garage uh, mechanic businesses, uh, TV repair shops, people who are literally rebuilding their lives. And one of the uh, beautiful people that I met while I was here is a bishop. And this bishop uh, told the story of when they started to rebuild their lives after ISIS. There was a lot to do, churches needed to rebuild, homes needed to be rebuilt, Rebuilt farms needed to be uh, turned back into farms. And he just shared the story of him taking this bishop, you know, a mansion, this Middle Eastern bishop, an incredible hat, he's wearing all his, his robes, big large cross, and he t- takes it all off and he puts on the clothing of a workman. And this bishop is there helping lay foundations, he's helping to rebuild walls, and he's able to uh, redevelop farmland for farming again. I love that, you know, it just reminded me so much of Jesus when he takes off his robes and he washes the disciples' feet. And um, how often do people of status and power say, no, those jobs are below me, I don't do those kind of jobs. And here was this beautiful uh, Iraqi bishop who had de himself to become a workman to put on the hard hat and to get involved with the rebuilding of his township and uh, the church there and i just think for me that was a real just symbol of what these guys have gone through and how they choose to live with such humility so i'm just flicking through my book i want to share a few things i love this this line i wrote down one of the church pastors that experienced great persecution, said this, if you're not dying for Jesus, then you're not living for Jesus. I, I love that, if you're not dying for Jesus, you're not living for Jesus. And there's a real thing here, about persecution that actually persecution draws out true christianity that it's only until we stand up for our faith and we are able to say i believe in jesus and i am willing to sacrifice myself for this thing that i believe it's only then that are we truly living for jesus and if you think about mark chapter 8 verse 34 jesus says if you want to be my disciple pick up my cross and follow me it's only in sacrifice that we actually walk in the way of jesus and essentially, that's what this guy was saying. If you're not dying for Jesus, then you're not living for Jesus. And I think the challenge for us there is: yeah, we don't experience persecution like these guys do or have done, um, but we do. Um, we do experience it in the fact that we don't feel we can be completely honest on social media or be completely honest in our in our workplace. But the challenge for us has to be, are we willing to die for Jesus? Are we willing to die with credibility to our neighbors, maybe our family, our friends? Are we willing to kill off our credibility for Jesus? And I think that's, that's where it gets to for us. If you're not dying for Jesus, you're not living for Jesus. I think it's just so beautiful. And so the challenge for us is, are you dying to your credibility in the world's eyes so that you might live for Jesus fully? A couple of other stories. When I want to tell you the story of a girl. I'm going to give you her initial. It's just Emma. M was 20 years old. And she had been a Muslim. And this now is, from this point, it's about six weeks ago. About six weeks ago, she converted to Christianity. Gave her life to Jesus. And her family were really not happy with this. And she'd only been a believer for two weeks two weeks she was a believer when she posted a TikTok and in this TikTok video beautiful young girl 20 years old sings in this TikTok video in uh, Iraqi these words Christ the light of my life you are my source of my love my Lord I long to see your holy face so she sings this video this video is no more than 20 seconds long Two weeks into being a believer she sings this tick tock she posts it online that weekend her 17 year old brother pulls out a gun and shoots her dead because she's converted to christianity She posted this tick tock one tick tock was enough for her to lose her life and i heard that story about her and we actually found the tick tock video and just totally heartbroken that this young girl lost her life because she sang those words, Christ, the light of my life, Oh source of my love, my Lord, I long to see your holy face. Because she sang that word Christ, because she longed for his love and to be the source of love in her life and to long to see his holy face, that's what lost her life. 17 year old. Do you know what? If you're under 18 years old and you kill somebody because they've converted to Christianity, It's no crime, no crime, and uh, you will actually get celebrated. So what happened was um, there was many uh, Muslims who posted uh, comments after her video celebrating her brother killing her and saying that he was a good Muslim boy and that he did what he should have done and what he's right to do and that Allah was pleased with him. So that that just utterly broke my heart. This twenty-year-old girl converted to Jesus and only been a Christian two weeks and loses her life because of it. If you're not, if you're not dying for Jesus, you're not living for Jesus. There's real sacrifice in uh, the lives of those that live for Jesus here uh, in Iraq. I want to share another story with you, and this came from a priest who uh, just taught me uh, some incredible stuff about forgiveness. So he told us the story that his son, who was about 14, 15 years old, uh, set off to school. He left in the morning to school and they said goodbye and he left. And then uh, sometime later, a boy comes in to the house, knocks on the door and, and says, your son was, was kidnapped on the way to school today, right from outside your house. They grabbed him and put him in the boot of the car and kidnapped him and the boy went missing essentially for four days. And the family were distraught, they were looking for him, couldn't find him. Uh, They were putting notes up saying, do you know where our son is, our boy is, here's the phone number, give us a call. Now while the family are trying to find him and can't find him for four days, the kidnappers have got him in the trunk of a car with his hands bound for four days. Then he would let him out to go to the toilet and they were telling him that they were trying to contact his dad and that his dad was saying that he didn't love him and that actually he was not going to pay uh, the money that they were asking to free him and that he was refusing to pay because they didn't love him. And they started to say to the boy, your, your, your family don't want you, they aren't gonna pay, um, you know, we will kill you. Uh, why don't you put on a bomb vest? Why don't you walk into your father's church? and show them uh, how angry you are, that they don't love you, that they've rejected you. So they start to turn the boy against his dad, who was was the priest. So the boy's in the boot, they're turning his heart and trying to manipulate and twist him, dad, He's a priest and he's trying to find him, put signs up with a phone number, please call me. And they're not calling him. So they were lying to the boy and the, the dad's becoming distraught. Now on day five, they do call him. Now now they, they've let him panic for long enough. On day five, they do give the dad a call and they agree an amount, uh, 15,000 US dollars. Uh, they agree at a place uh, where they would uh, collect the money. And that he was to drive down the road and throw the money out of the car and then they would pick up the car and money with their car and then they go and let the boy free so they agree on the amount and they agree where it's going to be dropped off and how it was going to be dropped off so uh, the priest is doing this is in the car and as he's driving the car to the location when he gets to the location he suddenly sees all these u.s military vehicles at the end of the road and the kidnappers are on the phone to the priest and they're saying, why did you call the US? We're gonna behead your son. We're gonna kill him because you've done this. And he's going, no, 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 no. I've, I've not done this. Uh, I've not contacted them. Uh, they're not here because of you. They're not here because, because of me. And uh, just wait, just wait, just wait. So they wait out and eventually the US uh, military army, they move on. So he throws the bag out of the car. Uh, the kidnappers pick it up. And they go one way and he goes the other. And for 24 hours, he hears absolutely nothing. And then eventually uh, they send the boy home in a taxi. And uh, he comes home and they're really pleased, obviously the son is home, but friends, the boy is traumatized, he's got PTSD, uh, he's messed up because of all the lies that they've told him, he doesn't know what's true and what's not. So they're trying to convince the boy uh, what had really happened. Uh, and he found that really hard. Actually, the boy found it so difficult that he's no longer in Iraq. He had to leave uh, the country, he just couldn't cope. And that um, when he heard a car backfire on one occasion, he just totally freaked out. So he's actually left the country and living elsewhere now. Now, some time pass, ISIS go. So this this all happened during Al-Qaeda. So this wasn't even ISIS, this was Al-Qaeda, which is pre-2010. And um, so once uh, Al-Qaeda have gone, and before ISIS, so this is about 2012, 2013, uh, the priest has a knock at the door, and there's a gentleman at the door. And the gentleman says, um, we have got the Al-Qaeda guy that kidnapped your son, and we are gonna go and behead him. Why don't you come? And uh, watch us behead this guy as a way of taking revenge seeing this guy get his comeuppance and the the priest turns to the guy and says I'm a Christian we do not do revenge I'm a Christian we do not do revenge and I was able to talk to him about forgiveness and I, and I wanted to know a number of things. I wanted to know how he dealt with forgiveness in all of that, how his son had dealt with forgiveness, but also post ISIS, like how are the Christians dealing with forgiveness? And for him, it was just incredibly matter of fact. He said, you know, Jesus died for us, we are forgiven. Uh, and therefore we are people who forgive. It's built in our DNA and our culture that we just forgive. And I said, "Do you find that hard? Do you find it challenging to forgive?" And he kind of looked at me. Yes, but it's a it's about us being like Jesus, and Jesus helps us to forgive. And um, and essentially, he said, "You know, when we forgive, then we set ourselves free, um, set ourselves free from wanting to take revenge." Uh, and it just really struck me this corporate sense of forgiveness that the Christians. Um, certainly Christians that are here. And I did ask the question, you know, have all Christians been able to forgive Al Qaeda and able to forgive ISIS? And their response was, uh, those that have stayed? Yes. Those that can't forgive are the ones that have left. They've gone because they're unable. Now, the danger with that is, um, that's big generalization. So you will come across Iraqi Christians uh, that have forgiven and are living elsewhere, and it's not because of this. But he said, you, you know, the ones that couldn't forgive have moved on, and the ones that have been able to forgive, they have stayed. So this priest totally broke my heart as he talked about his son's kidnap, And he talked about uh, choosing to forgive the kidnappers and and not wanting to take revenge. And uh, there's there's something in that behavior uh, in this persecuted church. We choose not to take revenge, we choose to live for Jesus uh, as people of peace. And he later on to, went on to say that someone that uh, was a Muslim converted at his church his new church plant that he's now led um, somebody's come to faith because of the way that they saw he and his family choose to forgive the kidnappers and choose to forgive those that had persecuted them and this person has come to faith because they've seen something different in the behavior uh, of this priest and his family just um, couple more things. Another thing uh, really inspired me here in Iraq. The church um, often gets called the Church of the Cross. They're known as the Church of the Cross because absolutely everywhere you go there is neon crosses and lit up crosses all over the Middle East. And what's really interesting is when ISIS came they destroyed these churches and they destroyed these neighborhoods and they got so far up the Nineveh plain and the christians were not that much further up banked up in the mountains and they put crosses upon the mountains that would light up neon lights on a night and that uh, the idea was that that, the uh, Al-Qaeda or ISIS would see these crosses uh, up on the mountainside, that Christ's light shines in the darkness, almost as a way, they said, of taunting uh, the ISIS, Uh, taunting them that they're still here, Jesus is still being worshiped, and they're people of the cross. And even today, there's crosses absolutely everywhere, neon crosses absolutely everywhere. And what has really struck me is, I've seen more crosses here in Iraq in the last few days than I've seen in the UK in years. Like, how many churches genuinely have crosses outside their building? It struck me that my church doesn't have a cross outside of our building. And uh, yet these believers, the cross is the centerpiece of their faith. It's the thing that changes everything, and it's the cross that stands above it all. I love this, you know, the cross stands above it all. The cross stands above it all, shining bright in the night. And that is very much what they are kind of seeing in that, uh, from the lyrics of that song. That really has challenged me, is the cross really the centrepiece of our faith? And the other thing I want to share with you is this, I absolutely love this. So where churches have been destroyed by Al-Qaeda and, the, and then ISIS, as they've been rebuilding them and reopening them, um, they have been doing so by rebuilding the building. So attached to them, they've got a centre. And these churches are becoming known or being, or being called centres of hope. So these churches have set up centres of hope attached to their building, to their worship space, so a space for them to worship and gather. But then they've got this place where they're teaching people hairdressing, they're teaching people mechanic skills, they're teaching English and schooling and the Bible, uh, creating spaces for, for women to come uh, and get um, they do like trauma counselling. Um, for women and children and and, and, men as well, I guess, who are just traumatized by what they've experienced. Uh, So they've got trauma centers attached as well, medical centers attached. So they've set up these centers of hope. So what they've wanted to do is create the new church to be the the, the one-stop shop that any human being could come to to find everything that they need. Uh, So it's it's a place to worship Jesus, it's a place to be educated, it's a place to get your healthcare, it's a place to get your trauma, uh, trauma counseling. They also give up mini loans of $5,000 for people to come and start their own businesses. So meeting people who've started these TV repair shops and these hairdressers from these mini loans that they then slowly pay back. Because if you're a Christian in Iraq, uh, you will end up paying 15 to 20% more tax on that money um, when you pay it back. So you don't have to, have to pay 20% more back from what you have borrowed so 10% would be paying 500 dollars back 20% would be paying 1000 dollars extra on top so just because you're a christian and so real life persecution looks like uh, them physically have to pay twice as much as as a muslim convert so they started these centers of hope and so this one stop shop where where believers can come and uh, find everything that they need for their life to thrive and it's really inspired me that wouldn't it be amazing for our churches post COVID to reopen as centers of hope, not just a church building, but as a center for hope, the one-stop shop for everything that the neighborhood needs. And you know, with COVID, they've um, been delivering food packages and all the things that we've been seeing in the UK, but they're carrying it on and they're continuing it uh, going forwards. So there's just been so much in the last few days of uh, being here in Iraq that has totally and utterly blown me away and how they are caring and being the hands of God uh, in their neighborhoods. And I think as I head home, I'll be praying for these centers of hope and praying for the church here that continues to be persecuted. You know, this girl, lonely in the last few weeks that she was shot dead. 20 year old girl because she declared that Jesus was the love of her life and these guys need our prayer to be fair they need our finances and our resources Um, but actually they need our prayer they they need to know that we are cheering them on and one of the things that I'm struck by this week is I'm here seeing their work and I'm so inspired by it it's making me go home saying right what does this look like for me and my neighbourhood to become a place where we are this, this centre of hope so there's so much for me to reflect on and think through and pray through just here flicking through my my notebook just seeing note after note after note of stories of uh, persecution there's one story that we heard uh, of uh, a guy who uh, Isis came into his home and he and his family were, were hiding in the kitchen and the Isis soldier walked right past them as if they they were praying and the Isis soldier walked right past them as if they weren't even there um, you know, the Lord uh, hiding and defending and protecting his children uh, in those moments. So, a lot to think about. Uh, And I want to just invite you, friends, would you be praying for the persecuted church here uh, in Iraq? Would you join me in praying for the bishops and the church leaders, praying for the believers? So there's about 200,000 believers left. In Iraq there once was over a million believers and now there's only well it's just under 200,000 believers here in Iraqi originally was 1.5 million until Isis uh, did what uh, they did and uh, so be praying for them encourage um, encourage them in prayer and keep them uh, in your mind as you um, yeah as you pray each day friends I'm gonna head out I'm gonna catch my flight back to the UK I hope you found this interesting, a bit different from from Erbil Airport here in Iraq. Um, I'm just going to pray as I finish. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this beautiful country. Thank you, Lord, for the believers that are here. We pray your protection, your angels, to guard them, inspire them with new vision as they rebuild and create centers of hope. Father, equip them with the resources that they need. Lord, would you continue to keep them safe, but would you also continue to stimulate the fire that you've put inside of them for your son, Jesus. Amen. So friends, if you're not willing to die for Jesus, you're not living for Jesus. I'll leave you with that thought here from Erbil Airport in Iraq. Grace and peace.